What's happening, everybody? This is Ryan for The Scale Up Show. I have Greg Rich, who is the CEO and founder of Avantio. Something really cool about him is he's bootstrapped, uh, went through a founder, a co-founder transition, and now is looking to scale the company with a round of funding, has started in his space uh, from a non-tactical perspective when he was 13 and motivated him to create this new opportunity, a new category in business as early in early 2000. So you're not going to want to miss this. It's a great episode. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Greg Rich. Greg is not your average tech CEO. He actually started with his journey in the world of customer service at the age of 13 because it was rooted in his family's business. He had his first taste of tech there. And now he's currently leading Avantio, which is boasting over 300 customers, over 100,000 daily users for a SaaS solution specifically related for customer service operations. Greg, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited to go through this. I love the fact that, you know, you are a grizzled veteran when it comes to customer support going all the way to 13. <laughs> so um, real quick, before we get into your background, though, I would love to go and do a quick revenue rundown. So where are you guys at in Sage's journey in terms of your ARR? Uh, we're just shy of 5 million. Okay, excellent. Congratulations. There's not very many people that get the 5 million. Uh, and so what's your primary go-to-market strategy when it comes to revenue growth? So there's a number of things that we do. Um, you know, I mean, it, it is one of those things that's obviously changed over a period of time. We're a 20 year company. So, you know, the Google AdWords that we did in the early days don't work for us these days um, because of uh, the competitors that we're up against, um, the Goliaths that are out there. Uh, so we have to be more agile. We have to be more dynamic in terms of our approach. So, you know, most of what we do now is through um, uh, outbound uh campaigns in particular. Um, but we think about how we sort of structure that over multiple camp uh, over multiple channels, but, you know, we put together white papers, a lot of blog posts, and really it's our you know job to try and educate people about what service management optimization can kind of mean for B2B customer services teams. So these are things that, you know, we've been doing in an IT for the last two decades, uh, really effectively, but now we're thinking about how we can actually take that, uh, those, those best practice frameworks and, and push those across um, other service departments in the organization. So for us, it's kind of an education play. Uh, you know, we have a, you know, case management solutions have been around for, for decades uh, and Vivantio have something to offer. And, and, you know, part of that has been, how do we get out to people? How do we talk to people? So thinking about our ideal customer profile, um, you know, the right titles and going out, you know, one, one, <laughs> one deal at a time um, and getting our message across that. That's kind of where we've been focusing our time at the moment. Okay. Excellent, man. And, and can you walk us through your solution in like two or three sentences just so everybody has some context in terms of where, like exactly who you serve and, and how it works? Yeah. So as you already mentioned, so we're, we're a service uh, management software solution, software platform. Uh, we, we are, we're aimed at sort of mid-market to enterprise organizations who are looking to scale beyond basic case management or who have got, you know, large enterprise solutions and looking to kind of reduce their ROI. And where we differentiate is that our solutions kind of, you know, democratize the technology. So it allows 
people that are not IT centric or don't have those IT skills or have access to engineers to implement enterprise service management solutions easily, uh, you know, through through configuration um, and through rapid deployment. Uh, you know, what we're finding now is that there's a you know a huge tech short tech shortage in the industry and. Uh, you know, there's a, a big reliance on operations managers to have the tools that they need to do their job, but have the skills and the ability to, to make those changes rapidly. Um, and so our solutions solve those problems for those people. Okay, excellent. So, and what would you say are like the biggest quantifiable results that your solution creates? It's a number of things. I mean, when we talk about service optimization, uh, we have one customer that, that managed to get something like a 27 click process down to a single click. So, you know, uh, something that was taking them maybe five or 10 minutes, you know, down to a click of a button. Um, and, and, uh, the other is, is when we think about, um, enterprise service management, it's the scalability across the business, you know, the, the ability to be able to actually, um, provide service and support across the entire, uh, organization. So the you know, economies of scale you get within those teams can be huge. Okay. Love that. And then how large is your team? We have 45 staff now. Yeah. Across the UK and the US. Okay. Love that. And then are you bootstrapped or funded? We're still bootstrapped. Yeah. Yeah. We took a small okay. debt round uh, early last year, but, but uh, we haven't taken any funding to date. Congrats, man. So way to, way to get the 5 million without funding. So, <clears throat> all right. So, so let's get, into your background a little bit. And we just love to hear how you got here, how you created this company and, and just love to hear your journey. So, uh, can can you give us the background on that? Yeah, sure. So as you already mentioned, you know, started at an early age uh, working with my parents in their in their residential home back in the southwest of England. Um, and uh, my first uh, proper job was uh, working in social housing uh, in uh, in the southwest uh, for one of the largest uh, social landlords. So this is an organisation that's provided uh, you know either low cost housing to people, um, sheltered accommodation, um, helping uh, you know. Uh, uh, children, uh, care homes, things like that. So, so, you know, it was a very important cause for me, you know, coming from a, a, a customer care or, you know, a service background, but it was the first time I managed to get my hands on technology. You know, this is back in the early nineties, um, late eighties, early nineties. And, uh, you know, it, it brought a kind of love of those two things together. I'm also quite a creative person as well. You know, I play a lot of music, I make a lot of furniture in my spare time and things like that, uh, do a lot of design work. So it kind of, it was just, all of a sudden, technology was a way of harnessing all of those things together. Um, you know, thinking about creativity, not just in terms of designing things, but in terms of finding solutions to problems within the organization and how we can solve those problems for, for the people that are providing a service to our tenants. You know, that was what was really important to me. How do we ensure mm -hmm. that uh, we're, you know, the people at the housing association, the social analog were able to do their jobs because what they were doing on the front line was really important. You know, it mattered to people. Uh, you know, people had problems with their, their property, you know, maintenance problems or they couldn't pay their bills. Uh, you know, so these are things that, uh, you know, it, it was a trickle-down effect that I was thinking, well, I, I'm having a direct impact on people's lives and that was really important to me. So, you know, that, that it, was, it was great to be able to use that creativity and technology to help solve some of those problems. Um, and then after about 10 years of working at Nightstone, uh, the other co-founder, myself, uh, Russell, uh, you know, we realized that there was an opportunity um, around the early 2000s where, you know, 
cloud-based software was becoming a thing. Uh, you know, online banking was starting to come out and on-demand was was a, a term that was starting to be uh, banded around. And we saw an opportunity because there was very little in the low to mid-market space for uh, of helpless software, you know, uh, certainly um, not web-based. And, uh, you know, we were the first people to, or the first company to actually launch a, a solution back in 2003, which is a pure multi-tenant, you know, SaaS-based architecture designed to scale Um you know, upwards across organizations. So it's, uh, and again, you know, help desk and developing help desk solutions was part of that same journey that I had with social housing. It's like, how do we pursue, how, how do we produce software and solutions that we can provide people that provide service to others and help other people? You know, that, that was kind of always, you know, in our mindset uh, and the organization is now built. You know, the whole culture of the organization is a customer services one. Okay. And I, I think, yeah, I mean, that's super interesting that you built it all the way back in, 2000, early 2000s, right? And uh, I mean, it's got to be wild how different and how mind-blowing tech is now compared to then. And the speed speed of change. It's not even the tech is different that, you know, this keeping up is hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, so let's talk about that, man, because like, that's, that's like an interesting kind of crossroads that a lot of companies are at, right? They have an established develop solution. And then basically for the last, I don't know, six to uh, more mainstream six, but let's just say last nine months, people have been getting blasted in the face with the fire hose of AI. AI so yeah. how is that affecting your business with like that rapid pace of change? That's unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime. Yeah. In a positive way, I would say, I mean, you know, we could talk about how maybe it can be used in marketing with certain products to help with messaging and things like that. But, you know, as it relates to our products and services, um, you know, we see it as instrumental in being able to elevate the customer experience. You know, how can we leverage mm-hmm. the technology? How can we leverage knowledge to provide, you know, solutions to customers in a much, much shorter period of time? So, you know, that that's how we've been thinking about it. Uh, if I'm completely honest with you, you know, it's, it's like drinking through a fire hose at the moment. You know, there are so many possibilities. There are so many things that, it, that you can do with it. Um, it. It's difficult to hone in on the one or two things, you know, for a small company like ours that we can really leverage that can have some significant value from day one. Uh, but we've already started, you know, we've started to integrate um, some of the generative uh, AI uh, within our own product um, to try and, again, you know, find ways to, to get solutions to customers in a much, much shorter period of time. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So how, how have you integrated in your product? Like where, where's the best possible use cases you're seeing it on the product side? And then I would love to ask you a follow-up question. Yeah, sure. Well. So on the agent side, you know, for, for somebody on the, on the service desk that's providing service and support to the end user, um, there's a couple of things we've been doing. One is that, uh, you know, as the, as the ticket gets logged, as, as the information has been recorded, we're, we're using that to go right across the entire knowledge base of that particular customer, um, to, to scan through both, you know, previous solutions, previous articles, and then presenting the agent with uh, information that hopefully can solve the problem. So, you know, whereas before we were saying, well, here's 15 articles that might have the solution in there, send these and let the customer read through them, which is obviously time consuming. Now it's consolidating that information and actually providing uh, the agent with with something that hopefully will solve that problem, you know, from the outset with with the with the person on the end of the phone or you know uh, via email or whatever that might be. 
Um, so that, that's okay. one way. And the other that we've just started looking at now is more predictive analysis. So looking across not just um, our solution, but, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the whole partner ecosystem, the whole value chain, you know, how can you leverage data points to, ha- to, to actually predict what might actually be happening before it actually happens, uh, you know, to try to stop it at the source. So get to the point where we're actually we're solving the issue, we're solving the problem before it actually happens. So that's, that's, that's kind of an interesting one. You know, we have a, a, a small team that's kind of, you know, analytical team that are kind of working on that at the moment from a reporting perspective. Okay. So love those two use cases. I guess for the one that you've implemented already, let's talk about the first one. What are tangible outcomes that that people are seeing? At least let's talk about the support perspective, right? So like, it sounds like it's almost like an instant lookup of potential resources that are fine tuned based on the exact keywords. Like what are the results like before and after? We'd love to hear just like the differential. Yeah, I don't have KPIs to report and I must admit, um, but what I can do is sort of, you know, I I can, what we've seen is a reduction in the number of calls coming into the service desk itself. So, you know, there's two ways of obviously, you know, getting help. One is to phone up and speak to somebody and the other is to go to a self-service portal, you know, that, that Vantio has uh, and log that ticket, you know, log a ticket through that and then interact with the agent in that way. Now, what we're finding is that more people are relying now on self-service as a mechanism for getting access to help because that's kind of how they do it in their everyday lives already. And because the AI machine is able to get them access to that information more quickly without having to triage, without having that interaction with an agent at the other end, the agent doesn't get involved. So it's actually reducing the load on the service desk altogether. Um, it's only really working, you know, potentially for for things that are easy to solve. Um, you know, the more comprehensive, the more complex uh, problems always end up going through to an agent and, you know, multiple people get involved in solving those issues. But what we're finding is that there's a reduction, a significant reduction in the number of calls that are coming through to the agent in the first place. Okay. I love that. And, and, and I mean, it makes sense. So and I know it's new, so it's early on, so it's hard to always quantify things, but I think, yeah, that's going to be huge. I mean, that use case. Now let's talk about the other side of it. And, and most founders or CEOs that I talk to focused on the product first. Do you have any initiatives company-wide to deploy this uh, on the people side of it? Like, is there anything that you've done uh, systematically with that or, or are you not quite there yet? Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe dive in a bit more there. Yeah. Not quite sure. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like, obviously there's, there's like, we're talking, there's an abundance of use cases that, that you could leverage, whether it be for marketing, whether it be for sales, whether it be even for like product research, anything, right. Any piece in the company. So what I've been hearing, and this is why I'm asking the question, because I'm, I'm just curious, like, most tech CEOs go straight to the product, right? However, what I'm trying to see is like, is is there any patterns or other ways where you're trying to leverage this across all your employees in terms of best practices, prompts, um, workflows, anything to like superpower your people? Yeah, I, I must admit, not I suppose not internally, but maybe externally more so. Um, and again, it comes back to the, some of the AI that we're talking about and this, you know, my, uh, mapping the value chain. But what we started to work on um, with a, another UK company at the moment um, and looking for uh, looking to do an integration uh, quite quite soon is thinking about quantitative data analysis because we have a lot of information about all of our customers that are providing service and support to their customers um, across multiple industries. Now, what we want to do is kind of 
anonymize that data and then provide, you know, people within the healthcare sector or people within education, you know, benchmarking to say, well, these are how your peers are performing as it relates to service and support. They're making use of self-service technology and that's having an impact on the service team by whatever it is, 30, 40%, or they're leveraging uh, workflows, um, which is optimizing service by 20%. So, you know, if you start to implement some of these changes within your own system and start utilizing some of this technology, this potentially could be the impact that um, the service management solution has on on uh, your team. So I'm, I'm thinking, again, I'm always thinking about the customer. <laughs> so I'm think, thinking about how we can leverage the information that we have from one customer to potentially support another. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome, man. I mean, that customers love seeing that, like the best practices, the benchmarks, uh, things along those lines. So, uh, and, and then any kind of like scorecarding as well is yep. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. All right, let's shift gears a little bit off of AI. So, you know, obviously you self-made the company. I know we, we talked before, you, you had a co-founder that was previously involved with you. Uh, one of the things I would like to understand really is like, in your space, you know, how did you get to this point, right? Like, how did you go from zero to, to five-ish, right? Like, what, what, what was the number one growth strategy that you leveraged to do that? I would love to hear, like, if you could break it down to this one, right? With like four or five steps or a framework, like how did you do that? Like what would you attribute mostly to that if we're looking at building a company? Um, that's a good question. So I think the f- there are probably a couple of steps, I think, you know, we're a 20 year old company. So we've been through a few iterations and a few, you know, uh, um, as, as time has gone on, I think one of the things we first did was realize that, you know, Russ and I weren't sales and marketing people. So, you know, that wasn't in our wheelhouse. We were, um, customer services people, we had engineering backgrounds and we were able to write code. So, you know, one of the things we had to do from day one is like, well, how do we fill that gap without the money to pay people to do the job? And, and we did that through channel partners. You know, that kind of worked for us in the UK for, for a long period of time. Um, we, we leveraged a relationship with a couple of partners um, that were able to fill that gap that we didn't have. You know, we didn't have the expertise. So how could we get that expertise without it actually costing any money. Um, so that was the first thing that really kind of got us off the ground. And they, they, you know, whilst Russ and I were doing most of the marketing, um, cause again, we're kind of creative and we understood the technologies like AdWords and, and pay-per-click campaigns and things like that. Um, we had people that were able to actually sell the software and they were good at it. Um, the other thing we did was move to the US. I mean, you know, it, uh, it, it was a, it was a difficult transition. Um, it took a, a long time to get through, but, you know, we understood that, you know, and no could tell that the US market was obviously a lot larger than the UK market. And there was, you know, we, we wanted to broaden our opportunities. So, you know, we embarked on that back in 2011, um, I moved out to, to Boston, Massachusetts and, you know, continued to build the team from here. And, and now 50% of our customers are in the US. Wow. Okay. Excellent story, man. And then what's the future? Like, what do you see as the future for you over the next three to five years? Like what's your goal? 
Uh, where do you see the company going, especially with all the changes in tech? Like, what do you think is possible? Yeah, right. Great question. Uh, you know, we've we've kind of done a reevaluation of the company over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, we've been bootstrapped and it's been a lifestyle business for the longest period of time, you know, 20 odd years, really, or well, 15, 16 years. And, you know, we, we, Russ had to leave the company, you know, back in 2017 um, due to personal circumstances. And that kind of put me in the driving seat. So, which, and it took a couple of years to kind of get used to Russ not being around, having, you know, been friends and, and colleagues for, for nearly 20 years. Um, but, 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 you know, and I did a lot of soul searching and, the opportunity in this particular market for service and support is huge, you know, especially it relates to customer service, you know, B2B customer service. There's a lot of pressure being put on operations teams now to drive great customer experience. It has a big impact on bottom line in terms of retention, in terms of helping with new business um, and, uh, you know, and the referrals that come from that. So that, you know, we're seeing a lot of time and energy being invested by CEOs in their operations teams um, for, for midsize and large enterprise organizations. Um, and there's very little in the market um, that has solutions to support those teams. So Receiver Vantier is really great fit. And, and with that, you know, because of that opportunity, uh, we've, we've really started to understand what the growth potential is of a service and solution like, like ours. So we are working on an equity round at the moment. Uh, you know, we'll go to market this this month um, to to look to raise some growth equity um, to try and uh, help grow this product because you know timing is everything. Uh, you know, we have a great tech stack, we have a great product, we have great customers. Um, it's highly scalable, and you know now it's just about market penetration and, and just telling as many people as possible about the great products and services that we have and the great teams and the great customers. So, so, you know, one of the reasons we're doing this, you know, is to help, help build that brand, help get people, help get the message out, um, help educate people. Um, but our, our plan would be, you know, to try and get to 20 million AR within the next three years. Okay. Excellent, man. Well, I love, love the goal, love the aggressiveness and you're right. Like I'm a big believer in referrals because I've seen it work on multiple levels and, you know, the product is where it starts, right? I think there's a whole nother layer to it that a lot of people miss in terms of like how the customer emotionally feels and then the timing of like asking and incentives. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think that's, that's an awesome goal and, and congrats on, on looking at your next stage of growth. So uh, one other question I didn't ask you yet too is, you know, at this stage at where you're at, like, what would you say is like your single biggest challenge if you had to break it down? Because that's that's one of the things that you know I hear all different answers for it. However, there sometimes there are there is consistency to it as well. Yeah, I, I suppose where I see myself at the moment, spending the most time most time in the business is on marketing and sales. You know, our team is is relatively new. Uh, you know, it's been built out over the last six months. So there's a lot of fresh people that have come in, great talented people, but you know, there's a, a big learning curve for them. Um, but yeah, that go to market, uh, is, is, is the big thing for me now as we transition into an organization that's looking for growth, you know, how do we scale? Uh, how do we reach more people? How do we get our message across succinctly and clearly? Um, you know, how do we ensure that we're not, you know, scattergutting, uh, uh I said a word now, you know, scattering too much in terms of like, you know, approach, you know, net, uh, you know, spearfishing versus net fishing, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, so, so that's the, that's the kind of biggest challenge for me at the moment is, you know, that go to market strategy, understanding which channels are working best for this, where we can, you know, turn the dial up slightly on and turn the dials down on other things. Um, that, that, that's really where I spend most of my time with, with the teams. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. So, all right. Well, Greg, we're just about up on time. I mean, where can people find you? Where can they find more of Avantio? And then we'll wrap it up from there. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, you can check us out at Avantio.com. There's a, a newsletter you can uh, subscribe to, which as I already mentioned, you know, there's there's multiple blogs that come out every week that talk about service optimization and service delivery and uh, service efficiency that hopefully you'll find helpful and interesting and uh, be able to use within your own organization. Um, and obviously check us out on LinkedIn as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Excellent, man. Well, it was a pleasure having you on, Greg. I you know, congrats on your journey and then, you know, best of luck on the, on the next stage. And I think you got some exciting things ahead of you, especially for the market that you're in because, you know, NRR is huge, right? And churn is huge. Yeah. And to have a solution like yours to combat that and, and help accelerate the NRR and combat the churn, I think is awesome, man. So thanks for being on the show, Greg. Thanks, Roy. I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for listening, everybody, as well. All right. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.